We're going to dive into God's Word this morning. And uh, as I um, began to outline last week, we are beginning today a series of thoughts uh, entitled, We Are. We Are. And what we're going to be doing over the next few months um, is taking every Sunday, we're going to be journeying through this series and looking at the 12 family values that make us who we are as a church community. Now, when we go through this list in a moment, and when we go through this over the coming weeks, it doesn't mean that just because something isn't on there, that we're not that thing, okay? So when, if somebody comes to me today and you say, well, it doesn't say we are prayerful, okay? Everything is found within one of these other things, otherwise you'd have like 10,000 values and we'd be here until eternity. But we've whittled these down to 12 family values that are who we are as a church community. I said last week that every family has a set of values. Those may be spoken, those may be unspoken, those may be conscious, they may be unconscious, but values shape culture. And this culture determines how a family acts, what their outlook is, and how they respond to one another. And so it is the same here as a church community. And so last week we introduced you to these values, or if you've been around Family Church for a long time, uh, then we reintroduce you to these values because we last looked at these uh, about 10 years ago uh, as a church community. But we want to look at them again in these coming weeks and months. So let me outline them again for you this morning. And if you don't catch any of these, then they're on our website, family.church, along with every recording uh, of all the messages and all the congregations every week as well, family.church. So the first one is this. We are Christ-centered. We are committed to keeping Jesus and his kingdom at the center of our lives and our church. We are commissioned, living passionately to share the gospel locally, nationally, and globally. We are disciples, growing into all that God has called us to be, continually transformed by his word and his spirit. We are empowering, equipping disciples to serve God in all spheres of life. We are Bible-believing walking in the unchanging truth of God's word, resolved to never add to it nor take from it. We are spiritual, acknowledging the ministry of the Holy Spirit, being filled, empowered, and led daily. We are worshippers, passionately praising, intimate in worship, and hungry for God's presence. We are family, celebrating our diversity in culture and age, committed to developing healthy relationships. We are servant-hearted, serving one another and the purposes of God in our generation. We are community-minded, being the hands and feet of Jesus in our local communities. We are responsive, amen? We are responsive, constantly responsive and active, never apathetic and passive to God and his call. And finally, we are honorable, giving honor where God says it is due. So over the next a uh, few Sundays, the next couple of months, what we're going to be doing each Sunday is taking one of these values and talking about how we biblically outwork that practically as a church community and as individuals as well throughout the week. So today we're going to begin with we are Christ-centered. We are Christ-centered. Now last week I made this point that these values aren't set in any particular order of importance, but actually this one is. And so this is the only one that has to come first. Because above all else, as people and as a church community, we are Christ-centered. We are committed, as it says, to keeping Jesus and his kingdom at the center of our lives and as our church. Now this morning, 
I want to spend a bit of time looking at why that is, why we choose to be Christ-centered, but then also move on to what difference it actually makes in our lives as an individual and as a church community. And as we do, let me ask you some questions this morning, and this is rhetorical, though we're responsive, you don't need to shout out your individual answer, but let me ask you some questions for you to think on today. The first one is this, what is your life built around? Think about that for a moment. What is your life built around? What is central to it? Another question would be, what does my faith orbit around? What is central to it? Another would be, what is our church built upon? What is central to it? Because so often, society and we ourselves have given the wrong answers to those questions. Or we've given an answer that isn't the ultimate answer we could give. So for example, when we think about what is my life built around, for many people, the answer will be their career. Their business, money. For others, it would be their family. For others, it would be just enjoyment. I just want to enjoy life. What is my life built around? It's built around my bucket list. I want to make sure that I tick off all the things that I want to do before I leave this mortal earth. I want to make sure that I've enjoyed and lived life to the full. When the question comes, what is my faith based around them, religion will try and get in there in front of you answering the question. It will say, well, it's about Mary, or it's about the saints, or it's about the apostles, or or it's about um, ceremonies, or method, or denominations, or it's all about doing. It's all about our performance. It's all about being a good person. When we think about the question, what is the church built upon, people may talk about branding or buildings, or community projects, or different programs that we run. But what we're asking today is what is central to our lives and what is central to our church. And our answer is family church, and our first family value is very much this, that Jesus is the center of it all. Amen? That Jesus must take center place in our lives, in our faith, and in our church. Now this isn't anything... New today, this isn't family church coming up with this catchy thing that Jesus has to be center of it all. If you read through the epistles, if you look through the letters that Paul sent to the churches, this was very much Paul's heartbeat. This was very much Paul's outlook. Let's look at some scripture this morning. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 18. He writes this to the church. He says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So for those who say, well, I don't know what God's like, I don't know, he's just this deity in the sky. Listen, the Bible makes it clear, especially in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus was the exact representation of who our Father God is in heaven. So Jesus is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and the authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Jesus existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. In Ephesians 2, 19-22, Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. 
Together, we are his house, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling, where God lives by his Spirit. So Paul says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, if you don't know what a cornerstone is, a cornerstone was a a, a stone that builders have used since ancient times, and it would be laid as a foundational stone. It would be laid as a pivotal stone, and from that stone, the rest of this huge structure would be built. It would be used as a guide. It would be used to know how to build the rest of the structure. And so Paul is saying when it comes to the church, which is us as individuals and us as a community, Jesus must be the cornerstone. The church must be built upon Jesus. Do we believe that this morning? So Jesus must be central to the church, but he must also be central to our faith. Now you may say, well, why? Because without Jesus, there is no faith. Without Jesus, you cannot have faith. All you're left with is religious activity. People say, well, I come to church and I do this and I do that. Listen, without Jesus, you have no relationship with God. You have no faith. All you have is religious works. That's what the Bible makes very clear. Remember what we looked at a couple of months ago, that Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way to God than through Jesus. And the world may offer us a whole load of different routes. The world may say, well, if you mix this religion with this religion and this bit that you like and this bit that you like, then ultimately you'll find your way to God. Or if you perform well, or if you're a good enough person, whatever that means and however you want to judge that, if you tick enough religious boxes, then you'll find your way to God. But the Bible makes it clear, John 14 verse 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Peter says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name than the name of Jesus under heaven by which we must be saved. Now in the verse before this, Peter has again been talking about Jesus being the chief cornerstone upon which we must build. So if this is all biblically true, then there's a Bible-believing church, and we're going to be looking at that value next week, then Jesus must be central to our message. Amen? Jesus must be central to what we teach. Jesus must be central to what we preach, to what we communicate with the world around us, both as a church community, but also as individuals in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces as well. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, a lot of scripture that I'm sharing with you today because I want you to see how biblical it is that Jesus must be center place in all of these things. I'm reading from the Amplified Version, talking about the message of Jesus. It says, for Jews demand signs and attesting miracles. Now, I don't believe that's just for Jews. I believe that's many people today that say, well, do you know what? If you want me to believe in God, then let him do this. Once I see this, then I'll believe in God. The Bible says Jews demand miracles. And Greeks, that's the Gentiles, that's us, pursue worldly wisdom and philosophy. How many people know that the world today is chasing after wisdom, chasing after philosophy? That's why there's so many books on Amazon about wisdom and philosophy. The world is chasing it. But we preach Jesus Christ crucified. A message which to the Jews is a stumbling block which provokes their opposition and to the Gentiles foolishness is just utter nonsense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, to Gentiles, Jesus is the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. Amen? So in Family Church, just in case you're new to us today, we preach Jesus Christ crucified. We preach Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. See, so often modern Christianity will preach a different version. Modern Christianity will preach the message of, if your life isn't going very well, then invite Jesus into your life and he'll make your life a little bit better. Or it preaches a message of behavior modification. Listen, if you want to be a Christian, then you need to try really hard at being a good person so that you tick enough boxes and Jesus Christ accepts you. Or it just simply says the message of, if you're lonely, Jesus will be your friend. Or if you're downcast, then Jesus will be your comfort. Now, some of those things, of course, have an element of truth to them, but that's not the gospel message. See, the problem is so often this, that modern Christianity has said that the gospel is about Jesus stepping into our world. The gospel of the Bible is about this, us coming into Christ, amen? Our lives being found in Christ. That the Bible makes it clear that actually our old lives have died with Christ. That the Bible makes it clear we've been crucified with Christ. We've been buried with Christ and we've been raised to newness of life in Christ. That the old has passed away, amen? The Bible says that we are now a new creation. That it's no longer I who lives but Christ who now lives in me. You read what Paul writes, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Do we agree with that this morning? Remember we're responsive people. That's one of our family values. We are a brand new person in him. That's the power of a true gospel. Only a true gospel will set you free. Behavior modification will not set you free. Religion will not set you free. It will only make you feel more guilty and hate church and Jesus and God and all that stuff even more. Only Jesus Christ will set you free. Only Jesus Christ will bring you hope. Only a true gospel will change you forever because Jesus is the true gospel. That's why when you think about it, the world and the devil are always trying to remove Jesus from the picture. That's why it talks of antichrist. That's why everything is about removing Jesus from the picture, because the devil can cope with religion. And the world don't really have a problem with God as a deity. You talk to people about God, they'll kind of be okay. You talk about Jesus, it steps up a level. Why? Because the devil can cope with denominations. Do you know that this morning? The devil can cope with religion. The devil can cope with the name of family church. Listen, the devil isn't scared by the name of family church. The devil isn't scared by the name of Steve. The devil is scared by the name of Jesus Christ because there is no name that carries power like the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ because it's only in Jesus that we find everything that God has available for us it's only in Jesus that we find salvation John 10 verse 9 says I am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture only Jesus offers us salvation only Jesus offers us righteousness apart from the law now, if you're new to church, you think, what on earth did you just say? What just came out of your mouth? What on earth are you going on about? Let me explain for a moment. Righteousness is about right standing before God. Righteousness is about your life being acceptable before God. And the Bible makes it clear that before Jesus, the only way that you could have righteousness was by obeying the law. 
The law that God gave, the law that was holy, but the law that mankind added loads and loads of sub-laws and subtexts, And so there were all these laws and rules and regulations that you had to keep. And it was only if you kept them all that you could be righteous. Here's the problem. No one could do it. No one could match up to the requirements of the law. No one could match up to what was required in order to be made right with God. That's why the Bible makes it clear in Romans 3 verse 21 and 22 that things have changed. Because it says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. You want to know how you're made right with God? You want to know how you can have a relationship with God? We are made right with God, not by our works, not by our actions, but by placing our faith in in Jesus Christ. And just in case you rule yourself out, it says this, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So Jesus offers salvation. He offers us righteousness. He offers us peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. See, before you come into relationship with Jesus. God loves you. God loves everybody. But we only experience peace with God when we accept what Jesus has done on our behalf. Abundant life, John 10.10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 1 John 5 verse 12, whoever the Son, whoever has the Son, sorry, has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So people can talk all they want about living their best life now. People can talk all they want on Instagram about this is who I am and this is what I have. But the Bible makes it clear that unless you have Jesus, you have nothing. Unless you have Jesus, you're not even experiencing real life. You're just living. You're just merely existing but you're not experiencing the life of abundance that God has for you in Jesus. Okay, so we're dealing here with a question, why does Jesus need to be central to our lives, to our church, to the message that we share? But the question we're left with is, well, that's all good, but what difference does that make to me? How does that actually make a difference in my life? How does that make a difference to us as a church community? Well, the first difference, the fundamental difference it should make is this, that the way we live should be based on what he taught. Listen, if we say that we are Christ-centered, if we say that Jesus is first above everything else, then the way that we live should not be shaped by the wisdom of man, but, but should be shaped by the way that Jesus lived and the things that he taught. A couple of passages I want us to look at. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. If you've got your Bibles, just turn there. You still with me this morning? Mark 9 verse 2, I know there's a lot of scripture, but it's important that we understand that this is biblically based today. Mark 9 verse 2 says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love this next verse. 
He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I love how real this is, that we could look at the verse just before and think, oh, how holy is Peter? Isn't that wonderful that Peter in this moment understands the magnitude of this moment and says, I think we should build a tabernacle and a dwelling place for you and for you and for you. When the reality is, everybody's looking at Peter going, what are you going on about? Because Peter only spoke up because nobody else was talking. Nobody else knew what to say. And Peter, who always, when you read the Gospels, Peter would always put his foot in his mouth. Peter would always be the first one to speak up. And Peter says, well, maybe we could get some tents. Everybody got some guy ropes. Let's, let's get the tents out. Because he didn't know what else to say. But listen to what comes next. When a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. If you're reading this in a paper Bible today, just underline those phrases. It's right. If you write in your Bible, do you know there won't be lightning that strikes you when you fall down dead? It's okay. You can write in your Bible. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. Now, catch hold of what God the Father says in verse 7. He says, This is my son. Listen to him. Don't let that pass you by because think about who else was there in this moment you've got Moses now Moses represents the law Moses represents what came before you've got Elijah in this moment who represents the prophets and so God the Father is saying listen the law was important the law was holy the law was perfect what 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 the prophet said was of me it spoke of a future but don't in the midst of this we've got the law the prophets and Jesus out of the three of them listen to Jesus because it's a new covenant and it's a new day and God Almighty says yes there has been the day of the law and there has been the day of the prophets but today is a day of Jesus and he must be center place. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said this about the words having had God make that statement he says anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds their house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. How many of you want to be wise this morning? The rest of you want to be stupid? I mean, we all, want to be, we all want to be wise, right? In the day that we're living, in this age that we're living of confusion, and in this time where so much is going on, we look at the world around us, we need to have wisdom. And Jesus says, if you want to have wisdom, you don't just hear my words. In other words, you don't just come on a Sunday morning to family church heaven and say, okay, yeah, I heard the message, I'll get on with the rest of my week. You hear the words, and like James says in his word, you put it into practice and when you do though the storms will come and you've all seen the storms this week and um, there was a moment this week when the storms came overnight you heard them right and and Kirsty was awake and I heard the storm and I thought oh wow this sounds amazing what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from here just like three paces to the window and I'm going to watch this storm and I'm going to see the lightning and what and then the next thing I knew it was morning And so clearly, I'm such a deep sleeper that I can even sleep through the storm. But sometimes there's natural storms, but sometimes there's storms in your life. 
Right now, you may be in situations that you wouldn't term it a storm, but that's what it is. It's a storm around your life. It feels like everything's coming from every angle, and you're in the middle of a storm, and you don't know which way to turn. Jesus says, if you listen to my words, and you put them into practice in your life, you will be wise, and you will be able to withstand any storm that comes against you, and your family, and your finances, and your health, and whatever it may be. You will stand. You know, over the last few days, there's been so many uh, thoughts and words shared about the Queen, and there's been many people who knew her who gave testimony of, to who she was. And this thought keeps coming through that she carried incredible wisdom. Listen, why do I believe she carried incredible wisdom? Because she was somebody who didn't just source the wisdom and the philosophy of the world, but she was a woman who knew her Lord. She was a woman who heard the words of Jesus and put them into practice, and as a result had incredible wisdom that the world looks at and says, how do you get such wisdom? Now, for the most part, when we hear about Jesus and living according to his ways, we like that. We're okay with that. We see it here and we hear the pastor say, we, sh we should follow the way that Jesus taught us to live. We should live according to what he taught. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But how about when we turn the page and we get to the bit where Jesus tells us to love our enemies? How about when it says that we're to pray for our enemies? And not to pray that they get struck by lightning in the storms that came this past week, but to pray that they are blessed. To pray God's best for them. How about when it says we're to forgive as we've been forgiven if, and if we don't forgive, we don't understand how much we've first been forgiven. How about when Jesus puts it bluntly and says stop worrying and you're facing a cost of living crisis and you're facing this, that and the other and you've got an appointment that you're waiting for at the doctors and you've got this relationship breaking down and you're thinking about all these things in life and you turn the page and it's there in black and white Jesus is teaching stop worrying do not worry how about when Jesus says actually if you want to follow me you need to actually know what it is to take up your cross daily and you've heard so many people preach oh it'll be this and it will be that and being a Christian it will be easy but you look at the gospels and Jesus said actually if you're going to be my follower, you need to take up your cross daily. And if you're going to really follow me, sometimes the way and the road that you're going to follow is going to be hard and it's going to be narrow and it's going to be difficult, but it's okay because ultimately it would lead to life. How about when he says, do you know what? If you want to hang on to your life and your version of how life should be, if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But actually, if you let go of your life and take hold of my life, you will actually gain it. How about then? All of a sudden... We don't like that so much. All of a sudden, it encroaches on the way that we want life to be. But if Jesus and his kingdom are truly central to our lives, our question will be, well, what does Jesus teach about this? When we're facing a situation, well, how would Jesus respond? What would he do in this moment? In the mid-90s, you may remember some of you who were in and around church I think it was mid-90s, when suddenly all these bracelets came out with WWJD. What would Jesus do? And they were everywhere, and somebody was like, oh, we're on to something here. There's, this branding is working, and it was everywhere. Everything that you saw, WWJD, which stood for what would Jesus do? But you know, the, the thing is, we can wear a bracelet and actually live a life that's completely contrary to what the bracelet we're wearing says. The question should be asked in our heart, not on our wrist. What would Jesus do in this moment? The question is one that we should ask daily in different interactions that we have. What should 
Jesus do or what would Jesus do? Because ultimately, our aim in life is to become more Christ-like. Let me ask you that question for a moment. What is the ultimate aim of your life? I know that's like a pretty big question to ask on a Sunday morning when you're still waking up after the week. What, what's the ultimate aim of your life? But listen, let me say this, that the ultimate aim of your life actually isn't to end with as many qualifications as you can. The ultimate aim of life, according to God's word, isn't to end with as much money in the bank as you could ever have and the business thriving. The ultimate aim of your life isn't even just how many children or grandchildren you can end up having or whether people will remember your name when you're gone. None of those things are wrong, but the ultimate aim in life, if Jesus and his kingdom are central to it, is simply this, to be more like Jesus. Final verse for today. Helen, you can come up and we're going to wrap this up. 2 Corinthians three, eighteen. It says, And we all who have unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's the journey we're on, being transformed into his likeness, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, if Jesus is central, then we should want to be like him in our outlook, in our attitudes, in our responses, and in our interactions with one another, ultimately in the way that we live. So what difference does it make that our number one value as a church community and individuals is that we are Christ-centered. It should make every single bit of difference. It should affect our message. Listen, at Family Church, we will preach Jesus Christ crucified. We will preach Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We will preach a message of grace and transformation that doesn't just say, come as you are, but says, come as you are and let God's Spirit transform you into everything God has called you to be. And we will preach that message when it's popular and when it's not. And we will preach that message when it's politically correct and when it's not. Because we are Christ-centered. That everything that we are as a church community places Jesus and His kingdom and His gospel at the very center of it but it should also affect our lives but the way that we live should be shaped by what he taught and how he lived and it should affect our worship listen when we understand that Jesus is center place Jesus becomes central to our worship and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning singing the song because worship is not boiled down to a bit of singing on a Sunday morning. I hope you know that. Worship is about the way that we live. Worship is about our priorities, what our focus is, what comes first, what we're truly living for. When Jesus is sent to place, it would affect our worship and what our attention and what our gaze is towards. And it will affect what we sing on a Sunday morning. But we don't want to sing songs of Oh, my week was a bit lousy and now I'm feeling a little bit better. We want to preach, sing, Jesus, you're king. Jesus, you're above it all. Jesus, it may be lousy, but when I look to you, things begin to change. Amen? But we're not focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on Jesus. Let me end with this, this challenge this morning. Is Jesus central to your life? Leave you with that question. Is Jesus central to your life? Is he your first thought or is he an afterthought in your life? And I don't say that to condemn. I don't say that to point the finger. I say that and ask that of myself as well this morning. If we want to be people who seek first the kingdom of God, then Jesus is central to that. So just close your eyes this morning. 
in a moment we're going to end and we're going to have family lunch together and again I invite every single person to be a part of that today but just before we end I just want to give an opportunity for anybody here who has never given their lives to Jesus and never begun a relationship with God to do so today and we're not going to embarrass you we're not going to make a scene or interview you or even bring you forward or anything like that but we want to provide an opportunity a moment for anybody here who maybe you've been coming to church for weeks for months and you say actually I've just been attending church (laughs) I've been doing activity but I haven't actually begun a relationship with Jesus but we're going to offer you that opportunity we're going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer this morning so that if you're saying this for the very first time then you're not saying it on your own everybody's praying it with you this morning let's pray this prayer Jesus I want to put you at the center of my life I believe that you are real that you died for me that you were buried in the grave but three days later you rose again today I accept your offer of a brand new life please forgive my past and make me brand new I give you my future Amen just keep your eyes closed and if you're here and today you say yeah I want to make that decision for the very first time or maybe you're saying today actually I want to come back to God I used to have a relationship with God, but I wandered away for it for whatever reason. Again, we're not going to interview you this morning. We're just going to provide an opportunity for response. And all I'm going to do, just as a point of connection, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I'm going to ask when I get to three, just place your hand up in the air just for a moment and put it down. And that's simply because we want to pray for you. We won't shine a spotlight on you or point you out. We just want you to have this moment of responding today. So you're ready one if that's you and you've never made that decision, say two, three. Just raise your hand if that's you for the first time. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Two people responding. If anybody else should say, yeah, for the very first time, well, I need to recommit my life to him today and place him center of who I am. Amen. Thank you. Father, I thank you for people responding to your gospel message today. Father, we rejoice with them just as all of heaven rejoices. And I just pray that for those making this commitment for the first time, Lord, that you would just surround them with people who will help them, people who will support them, people who will speak your grace and your truth and not judgment. Father, I thank you that they will go from glory to glory, from strength to strength as they journey in relationship with you. Father, may they know that old things have gone there's a brand new life in you today father for each and every single one of us in this room lord who maybe have been going through the motions lord who have maybe had you as an afterthought who have maybe not had you in the center but on the outskirts of our lives father i thank you that today again will be a challenge and today would be an encouragement to seek change as an individual, Lord, and as a church community, Jesus, we pray you forgive us for the, for the times you haven't been right at the center of who we are and were. But Jesus, we thank you. We commit our future to you as a congregation, as a church, saying, Jesus, you will always be center place of who we are. And we thank you for your goodness and your love towards us. Amen.